0: something inspiring when you listen to the garden question podcast hello I'm your host Craig McManus Gail Woody knows hummingbirds and how to attract them by the hundreds each day. Her garden is a must-stop for thousands of hummers on their migration journey from and to Central America. She talks about her feeding strategies and nectar-producing plants, successful water-attracting tactics, growing proven reproduction habitat, and why insects are important to hummingbird health. You're probably familiar with Gail Woody from her first interview on the Garden Question episode number two, How to Attract Butterflies. Gail has been gardening for over 30 years. She creates the perfect ecosystem that includes butterflies, hummingbirds, native plants, water features, and more. Her passion for gardening is contagious. After listening to this episode, her excitement will inspire you. Gail Woody is an ISA certified arborist and a seasoned advanced master gardener. She speaks and writes on butterflies, hummingbirds, and native plants, among other garden subjects. If you want to learn how to attract hummingbirds to your garden, large or small, this episode is perfect for you. Our interview with Gail right after this. You're invited to ask your garden design, build, or grow question at thegardenquestion.com. Not only do you get a chance to ask your own question, but you might inspire the next episode of the Garden Question podcast. So go to thegardenquestion.com and ask your question. What do the hummingbirds look like at your house, Gail?
1: They're all the uh, ruby throat in March, and there'll be quite a few, 20, 30, until about sometime late May. It's madness after that, beginning June, July, they'll choose their location, they'll start mating, they'll fledging, and it's just hysterical. The young will stay here. The young that were hatched here last year will come back here again this year, too. It, it's really a phenomenon at my location anyway.
0: Out of 11 hummingbirds species that have been seen in Georgia. How many do you get at your place?
1: I've only ever had two. The Rufus, which unbelievably is a hummingbird west of the Rockies, got off course about between two and 3,000 miles. And I had that bird, um, a beautiful male, one August. Basically, all you have here in Georgia, anyone has, is some that are just really out of their region. They don't nest here. The ones that's far away as Louisiana, Annas, and some of those various hummingbirds, they don't nest here. They don't breed here. You'll just rarely have one or two of them come through, and they're really pretty much off course. They move around a little bit. Basically, here in the South, especially Georgia, we have the ruby throat for North Carolina. I have a friend there that he'll tell me when the males are headed my way in the fall. And sure enough, I'll be bombarded with males. It's kind of cool, but we have the migratory ruby throat. This is her location, like any migratory bird has a location they'll fly thousands of miles to get to, to raise their young. And we are blessed here in Georgia to have the ruby throat.
0: Where does the ruby throat migrate to?
1: She migrates to Panama, Honduras, Central America. I've had reports from people who have gone island hopping down there that they see them there, which is not unheard of. They're usually Central America.
0: That's a rather long trip.
1: They cross the Gulf of Mexico, had abandoned opportunities Fort Morgan, where we catch them, band, and check them. Fort Morgan, that is a crossing point for numerous species of birds. And the ruby throat as well. So that's a launching pad for this area. They're a phenomenal little bird. We caught one, and the oldest one that I ever knew of was nine years and a month old, wow. which is a yeah. long time for such a tiny
0: bird. Yeah, really. Where's Fort Morgan?
1: Gulf Shores. Fort Morgan is just right out at the point past Gulf Shores Beach, heading west.
0: Okay. How have you designed your garden to attract hummingbirds?
1: Honestly, my garden was designed for monarch butterflies. You know my passion and love for all butterflies. So it's one of those things, if you build butterfly gardens, you're going to have hummingbirds, without a doubt. They love color. They love nectar. And and, and they are a, what you call a pollinator bird. One of the only true pollinating birds we have around. They are like a butterfly also. They know when they take the nectar out of a plant, they know how long it'll be before that nectar's right for them to come back and get more. They love massive color. A lot of people, you know, you'll see the hummingbird feeders have red. They like red, but They like white, too. So I can truly tell you there is not a flower in my backyard that a hummingbird won't touch.
0: You've got an accidental hummingbird garden that came out of your uh, butterfly garden.
1: Definitely. And you know, it's like the National Wildlife Federation's backyard habitat, which I've been a member of for a very long time. You have the four things they need, and you will attract all kinds of birds, insects, and butterflies. And a hummingbird needs the same thing. All birds do. They need food, water, shelter, and a place to raise their young. The hummingbird will only raise their young on certain trees. They'll build their nest on certain trees. Uh, one of their favorites is a beach. They love sour wood, and I have found a nest in a maple tree, which is pretty awesome too. And on my water fountain, I have the bird bath with a little bubble that comes out of the top. I actually see hummingbirds sit on the water bubble and get their bath. It's fascinating. They love water. They love, of course, every kind of flower in the world and trumpet shape, you know, of course, but the most tiny little flower are native native uh, verbena, the tall, stiff verbena that has flowers so tiny, it's hard to believe they even get anything out of it. They will lay plants down getting nectar from them. You have all of these basic components and they have trees where they roost at night. So mainly their trees are for dive bombing and guarding their feeders from other birds, mostly. I have a sharp-shinned hawk that lit in a tree, and uh, the ruby-throat hummingbird out here, back and forth, aggravating it to death in its face, pestering it, trying to run it off. They're fearless, absolutely a fearless bird.
0: So they're a guard bird then. Oh,
1: They guard their feeder, because one thing about a ruby-throat, I'm sure it's the same for all hummingbirds, but one thing for sure about a ruby-throat, they're a solitary bird all hummingbirds are solitary. They don't like each other. They do not migrate together. They don't associate all about eating for them and getting their body fat in the fall and the food they need during the summer. The only time they tolerate another bird is mating. We've had the joy of watching them mate to the ground, fall to the ground. Then that's it. There are enemies from that moment on. They will raise their young, and she will tolerate her young at the feeder with her maximum two weeks. And then they become just as hostile to those young. They're on their own within two weeks. It, it's extraordinary to watch them.
0: So you've got the nectar plants. And then you've got a feeder. Do you need both?
1: Yes, because the feeder is just energy for them to fight and carry on and build a little bit of fat in the fall. And the feeders are just supplemental for them because they need so much food. Hummingbirds are ferocious insect eaters. They eat so many mosquitoes, so they got to have the protein. That's not the only thing, of course, they need. They love nectar, they love protein, and they love sugar water.
0: So they're really a natural pesticide for your other plants.
1: Oh, absolutely, including a pollinator for your plants.
0: How do you select a plant for a hummingbird?
1: In addition to building the butterfly garden, as the hummingbirds continue to build here, Year after year, there were so many. I hadn't told you yet how much food I make by August, which is two gallons of food a day they consume. What I did do is add plants they love. They love our native coral honeysuckle, and that's a very early flower that they're crazy about. They also love columbine, which is another very early flower that we get in the spring. They love all uh, the flowers in the fall from hostas, so you're doing a great deal of good for a hummingbird with those beautiful flowers that hostas bloom in. You know, they'll shoot up a stalk, beautiful white and pink flowers. Even though they're not native, they're a hummingbird magnet. They love any kind of flower. A bee balm, I would say probably monarda, is their most favorite flower that I have in my garden. They absolutely love it. It doesn't have to be red. They love the pink and the purple colors that I have in bee balm. They love bleeding hearts, our beautiful native bleeding hearts. And of course, on my pergola, I have our native trumpet vine growing. It's a massive vine. I only recommend that to people who have sturdy, sturdy treated lumber because it will tear it down if you don't. It makes the most beautiful shade for us. I maintain it. It's aggressive. It's native. It's not invasive. You just have to keep it in check and keep it where it belongs. They love any hanging vine, any flower. They love our native amethyst falls uh, wisteria. So I can honestly tell you, when I sit out and I watch our hummingbirds, there's just really very little that they don't nectar on. They'll taste it to see if they love it. They're so busy out here that in the later summer months, we have to be very careful walking and sitting out in the morning having a cup of coffee. They'll get in my face. I feed them by hand. The state of Georgia biologists estimate by the amount of food that I feed here, I feed over 700 birds a day. Wow. And I know that might sound quite shocking to people. They've been on the front of magazines and newspapers. The hummingbird study group came two years and banded hummingbirds here. They banded 104 hours. That's just caught and banded, which exceeded uh, Stone Mountain and uh, Chattahoochee Nature Center, just right here in my backyard.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. It is amazing. like South Georgia gnats.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Amazing bird. I, I don't know anything else more to describe them. We love them so much. Um, my husband is really a bird person and he can identify a female versus a male, even the young because of the the tips of their tail, they don't get their red till they're on up in age a little. They start uh, molting, and they'll they'll do four stages before their gorget is fully red. He's really good at identifying them. I can spot a bird that I've never seen before pretty fast here. So the day that the Rufus came to visit, I knew what it was because of the I could see the orange on the end of its tail and the orange under his wings. Oh, that was a sight to see. I had just arrived back home from Montana visiting my children. People accused me of bringing him back with me. That bird is a Montana common hummingbird there for them. He's a west of the Rockies. And that little fellow really got off course to come visit. That's not unusual that to happen to a young Rufus. He was a surprise and a wonderful treat. They came, they banded him. So I didn't see him again for a, a couple of years, never heard a word back from him. He didn't come back here. He was picked up and banded by some uh, more hummingbird study people and scientists, and they caught him in Blountstown, Florida, read his band, and I think three years later, and sent word to let me know that my male rufus had decided to live in Florida.
0: So you don't think he returned back to the northwestern part of the United States where he's common?
1: Well, I think he did, because this lady in Blountstown, Florida, only gets him in the winter. So instead of going to Southern California, where those birds go to overwinter. He goes to Blufftown, Florida for the time.
0: About as far as you can go across the country.
1: Yeah, I just find that amazing. So, the best we can tell, that's what the little booger does. She only gets him in the winter. So, you know I mean? The possibility is he spends the summer a little further north and doesn't go back to Montana area, but I just don't know. He's never been caught anywhere else but in the winter in Florida. So, you know, he sounds like a snowbird to me.
0: Yeah, sure does. (laughs) I was reading up on those and I was amazed that they said they would even go as far north as alaska
1: oh absolutely that's that uh, they do i see some beautiful videos of them in canada and alaska in the summer we have a lot that we know that stay here
0: you're talking about ruby throats now right
1: yeah people say where are all the hummers and i have 20 30 that i can count easily early spring that hang around but you know there is a real possibility some of these move on further north before the summer's over, I always have quite a few, you know, that, that stay because they breed here. It's amazing to watch them breed and the show that the male hummer puts on to get her attention. And oh, it's really something to see. I have a really nice PowerPoint on some baby hummers in a beech tree that we had. We've learned a lot of things about them.
0: What is one of your most valuable hummingbird mistakes? We
1: took nests down and cut the limbs. And I would like to tell people don't ever do that because many years ago when we did it, we had no idea that they come back and use that nest again and again and again. Uh, We wouldn't have known that, but it's been an amazing thing for children to get to see a hummingbird nest and feel the inside of it and see how it stretches out with their two little babies. And I just know better now not to do
0: that. All right, do you have any other hummingbird mistakes?
1: One thing that I also learned... When you have two or 300 birds right here at my sun porch and the windows are pretty large, I average losing, especially during migration, is when it's the the most because they're fighting so much. They're darting back and forth at each other and they will hit these windows. I'll run oftentimes and grab them up and take them to the feeder and baby them if they're not hurt too bad and I'm able to get them back in flight. Sometimes if we're not home, I would have them dead as many as seven in the summer. Just devastating to me to lose one, but that happens. One thing I did learn to do is I purchased stickers to go all over my sun porch windows. They're ultraviolet because a hummingbird sees an ultraviolet light. That's how they see. Everything is in ultraviolet. I put these stickers. It has reduced the number of injuries tremendously here. I might not lose more than one or two birds if they really, really hit hard. Do have one other thing that's really critical is we have a huge detached garage. We are very careful to keep our garage doors closed. Our doors closed, they go in, they cannot get out. In summer they die of exhaustion, heat exhaustion because they stay up high and if we have one trapped, my husband usually has to let them get really tired and he is able to get them on the head of a mop and bring them down. It's hard work to get them out. I would encourage people to keep their carport doors closed because they will get in it. They cannot find their way out. I do not know the reason. They will not go down low. So it's very difficult and it's just tragic to lose one that
0: way. So you leave your garage door open to let it fly back out It because it, uh, you just run the risk of trapping more hummingbirds, I don't think.
1: You're not going to be able to get them to go out that door. You're going to have to get them on something usually. The only time I've ever had any luck at all is to put a feeder at a window, an open window, and bring it down. But we still have more luck on the end of a, a long garage broom. Hold it upside down and they will eventually sit on it and you can get them down, get them out to the outside avoidance to me it's just it's time consuming to save one out of a carport if you like your carport up in the summer just you know halfway they won't go in it but those little boogers will go in this garage door just a regular door blows my mind don't have to have the big old double garage door thing come open but they will go in that door and get trapped.
0: Have you ever had one come in your house?
1: Yes. Yeah. I'll open these big glass windows on my sunport and make pictures of them really close and they'll come in here. But I can usually get them out of here. It's not like a high ceiling where it's more trouble and I have huge windows. Makes for some good photography, up close photography.
0: How do you photograph a hummingbird?
1: It's pretty cool. I have some pretty high resolution
0: lens on my
1: camera. To be able to stop their wings, you're going to have to have some good lens to be able to do that. You just don't have much luck with something like a cell phone. You have to get really, really close.
0: High speed, I would think.
1: Yeah. Definitely good high-speed camera.
0: What's the formula you use for making hummingbird feeder food?
1: I'm glad you asked that question. I get water, one little feeder, small feeder, a quart of hot water, and one cup sugar, which is a four-to-one ratio. And the water warm enough to actually, you know, dissolve the sugar well. I do that a quart at a time. Usually have to make a quart a day every two days in April and May. Then I graduate the feeders up. I don't put too many out too soon. So I start with a little small feeder and I monitor how much they're eating because as the weather gets warmer and warmer, you'll get into more mildew problems with it. By July, I'm way over a gallon. So with a gallon of water, still four to one ratio, I get the warmest water I as hot as possible and I put a quart of sugar in there and dissolve it and let it cool down a little before I fill the feeders. Then by August, September, I am typically two gallons a day. Plus, you can sit here and watch 10 feeders slap wrapped up. You would think they like each other. They'll even sit side by side drinking because the migration uh, hormone, the daylight hours, everything has set in and they will cooperate long enough to get that sugar water. But just as many that are on this feeder are out in the garden flying everywhere. It's I call it a phenomenon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, I was reading that you shouldn't take your feeders totally down in the winter that you should just leave at least one feeder up
1: that's correct i do always why because you will have an overwintering bird a friend of mine that lives six miles away has one at her house overwintering it's hard work i'm glad she has the bird <laughs> <laughs> and i know that's terrible to say that but listen it with this kind of weather below freezing you got to bring that feeder in at night get it back out there as fast as possible limited pollinating plants in the winter, obviously. I notice in my backyard, my vegetables now are blooming. Also, they love nectaring on these camellias that are in bloom right now as well. There's a little bit of stuff out here. Hellebores is another plant that loves the winter and is in bloom right now. The hummingbirds in the winter are relying on that sugar water. It's not good nutrients for them. It's not all they need, but it will get them through the winter. You just have to be mindful and keep that from freezing, I should.
0: And you're limited on the amount of insects too, I would think.
1: Oh, uh, yes, Um, especially during this cold and the wind. Now, when we get up in the 60s, still have insects here. And in the south, we still have mosquitoes. But right now, we've had a kind of cool winter. I think.
0: We're not hitting any record lows, but we've had some cold weather, definitely.
1: We've had some below freezing that is freezing my feeder. I'm having to be real careful and keep a very small amount in it Yeah, because it'll break your feeder pretty quick.
0: I'm just guessing, and I know other people in the country will laugh at this, that we've been down in the low 20s. And to them, I'm sure that's a very warm day to a lot of people. But it's cold to me.
1: My son tells the folks in Montana, I mean, they're down to zero, of course, a lot. And it's kind of funny. He tells his friends you don't know cold you're in the south
0: <laughs> yeah
1: and it's raining and 40 degrees that's pretty cold weather
0: <laughs> you're right it, it it is it feels a lot colder with that than my times out west when it was three degrees yes. and I definitely felt colder here more about hummingbirds right after this TheGardenQuestion.com is an awesome website because we expand each podcast episode with accurate resources and links for gardeners. You can also listen to every single episode again as many times as you like. Think of it as an extension of the podcast at TheGardenQuestion.com. If you we're going to select a tree or trees that would work the best for attracting hummingbirds. What would you pick?
1: As far as a nesting tree, I love my maples, oh, sourwood, and beech. But as far as nectaring for a tree, one of the first trees that they come in for in the spring—believe this or not, Craig—is a poplar. Beautiful flower on the poplar tree. Mm-hmm. That is one of their absolute favorite when they first arrive, and it just 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 coincides perfectly with it. I know they love the flower of a poplar, but they love the flower of a red bud. Seriously, the poplar tree I have and the red bud, uh, those are just incredible. And I also have our native tea olive draws them. Shrubs, I have native viburnums. That's a magnet for the boogers. They love everything. They're not as picky as people think. Years ago, all the hummingbird feeders came out with all the red. People just don't realize they don't have to have a red flower they love crossvine they love our native honeysuckle and they love the non native honeysuckle that's taken over they also of course love uh, wisteria Those are the favorite vines I have in my yard. Sometimes I'm fooled in not realizing how many hummers I have, or even if I have them already, because my coral honeysuckle is already in bloom. It's out on the edge of my yard growing on a fence, and I'll spot the red, and I'm like, oh my, I didn't realize they were blooming, so you don't have to hang around long to see them on the coral honeysuckle too. The trumpet vine is a little later blooming, so that's more of a summer vine. They're really not picky. If it's got nectar, they're going to have a taste to see if it's a good one. Are you familiar with our native clematis? Tell us about it. It is beautiful. It's misty white flowers in the summer. Just the most delicate. I have a grown up dogwood tree in my backyard. Now it's the only climbing clematis we have. It is one of the most beautiful little dainty flowers you've ever seen. I am just fascinated to see them on it. Flowers is barely big enough for them to even get anything out of. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of salvias and sage in my backyard, and they absolutely love it. And you know how tiny those little salvia flowers are? Right, It is an amazing flower for them. They absolutely love it. I think they touch every blooming flower in my backyard, literally. You should see them on zinnias. They're an annual. You should see them on a zinnia. They'll sit on it and nectar every color. White, yellow, orange, they don't care. Purple, they love it all. It's like butterflies in the respect of mass color. is much color in one location, whether it's a quarter acre, half acre, or just pots of flowers. Put them together as many as you can and see what happens. I just love for people to tell me
0: what happens. Now, would you be able to do that, say, like in an urban location?
1: Oh, mercy, yes. Anywhere you can make flower bed, Raise a bed, make massive pots of different plants and flowers, and and don't forget the herbs in in them as well. I mean, I know a lot of people who just have tremendous amount of pots of flowers. You know, do not have enough room to put a lot of perennials out everywhere, but your verbena, your sages and salvias, all of these beautiful plants that do so well inside of a container garden. I mean, they love
0: it. How do you keep your bee bomb in bounds?
1: Well, why would I want to?
0: <laughs> i had some bee bomb and it just kind of started going everywhere and i was thinking
1: well, why don't you dig it up for me because i don't care
0: okay <laughs> Well, I was thinking about getting some back, but I was thinking about, you know, especially after all these conversations about butterflies and, and hummingbirds and things, and I said, I don't want to chase that stuff over the yard.
1: I have to chase it over the yard. I'm shocked. I've really never heard anybody say that. Oh, yeah, mine spreads. I do have a really nice rock area. It hasn't gone past the rocks. Oh, yeah, that's one of my prized possessions is my bee balm. I have four colors of bee balm. I have a huge bed of my red bee balm and in the middle of it I have black cohosh that shoots up about a foot two foot spires of the most beautiful white clusters of flowers you've ever seen Mm -hmm. that is the most beautiful photographic area hummingbirds love them both I forgot to mention also hollyhocks of course foxglove anything trumpet like a foxglove they're usually semi-perennial here native foxglove comes back year after year and that's also a hummingbird Uh, you won't see a butterfly on that, you'll see my hummingbirds on the foxglove. There is truly not a flower that a hummingbird doesn't
0: touch. So they're not that picky, provided they'll show up.
1: They will show up. They really will. It's just all part of that wonderful backyard habitat. Number one, make a commitment to no use of pesticides in the area that you are going to consider your pollinator garden, whether it's butterflies, honeybees, or our beautiful hummingbirds. Please commit to no pesticides. Pesticides because you can't expect to have these pollinators come and live and give you a beautiful summer if you have to use pesticides. You kind of have to give up a little to get this. And I think that if you let the insects and the hummingbirds, all of the other birds as well, take care of these pests for you, you'll eventually see that you do not need the pesticides.
0: So you allow the natural predators to just start taking over, right?
1: Right. Because even a hummingbird, you know, we almost lost our bluebirds because of chemicals. They've made a, a wonderful comeback. We don't want to do that to our, uh, our beautiful hummingbirds
0: either. My son took a trip to Central America, to Panama, and they were working with the indigenous people there up in the mountains to develop other food sources like fish and other protein because their main food source was hummingbirds. I was just really shocked, first of all, that there was enough meat on a hummingbird to eat, but then that they were uh, plentiful enough for them to eat. Is there any natural predators for a hummingbird in our area?
1: Yes, there is. I have two that I have to keep a real close eye on. I have them both. One is is and snake, so I have to keep an eye out because they will climb up and go across the wire where my feeders are. I'll get up in the morning and I'll see my hummingbirds going crazy and I can see out on the wire where feeders are hanging that something's not right. And I'll get the broom and beat off a snake. Usually it's a king snake or it's a black racer I have to get them off and throw them over the fence and get rid of them. I don't kill them, of course, but a snake will definitely sit there, hang head part of their body down, and sit there at that feeder waiting for a moment to attack. I have to keep close eye on those because I am bringing them in by the hundreds, so I'm attracting snakes here. It's not like the hummingbirds are in a tree in their natural environment when they're sitting on these wires I have out here, and just numerous amount of them hunting. Hundreds of them are eating from these feeders here, so snakes see that. And are aware of that much activity. So I try to protect them and keep the snakes off of them. They can get them in the wild as well or on a tree possibly, but I try to provide a little protection with my broom for them. The other thing is a praying mantis. People might not realize a praying mantis can kill a hummingbird quick. Unbelievably, I have them hanging off the side. They look like a stick and they'll just sit there on the side of a feeder waiting for their turn and they'll pierce them in the throat and kill them those are the two natural predators but sadly, a predator that people are not careful about is their house cat. My neighbor's cats climb up on the fireplace, just perching, ready to grab my hummers. So I have to keep an eye on the neighbor's cats. So believe it or not, you think those birds are fast, but a cat, they are a prey animal. They bring rats home to you for a prize and they will bring you home a hummingbird too. So that's an animal of prey that we could keep away from our hummingbirds. I always plead with people, please, please do not put a feeder where a cat can get
0: near it going back to the praying mantis what do they do with the hummingbird after they pierced it in the throat they drink
1: the blood and the juices from it Hmm. isn't that sad yeah there is a video on youtube of it last summer just i could barely stand to look at it but they do they pierce them in the throat they just drain them everything they get out of them just like they do other insects they they kill as well
0: well that's what i was thinking is i always thought of a praying mantis of eating insects i never thought of them hummingbirds. How do you balance that, though, between not using insecticides and that being one of your better insects?
1: Yeah, but the, you got to realize praying mantis is a great insect. You want it in your yard. I don't want to kill it. Take it and put it back out where it belongs. What I have to do myself, because I have quite a lot of feeders and a lot of birds, is I feel like I have to protect them in the summer have to watch out for the ones because one thing we do is we have a couple of wires under the pergola purpose of us keeping so many feeders close together is because we get to really see a lot of fun action. We get to take care of a lot of birds and make a lot of great videos. And I also have cameras where I do virtual cameras of my birds. That's the reason. So that is encouraging the praying mantis and the snakes because they see all that activity.
0: That's just nature at work and you have to keep that from happening.
1: It is. And I try to control a little of it because Because in our backyard, we're out of control. (laughs) So I try to control some of these in my backyard. When you commit to having all of this beautiful activity going on in your backyard, and when you commit to no pesticides and lots of beautiful plants and native plants and vines and shrubs and trees, and then they come... You want to keep it native and you realize a hawk's going to come through and get some of my birds. They do. That's part of nature. There's a lot of birds out here eating right now. The hawks know it. It's a wildlife habitat. I think the benefits and the educational part of it far outweigh any bird of prey coming through because that's part of nature too. I have a pineapple green cheek parrot. His cage sits in this big double windows back here, and he'll be on top of his cage, and he watches all of this, and he watches the birds, and it freaks him out, but he'll go, Mama! And I'll say, What is it, Earl? He'll say, What is it? What is it? And I'll run and look, and it'll be a hawk in the tree, and I'll say, It's a hawk, Earl. He'll, always, he'll go, Mama! And I'll say, It's okay, but see, he sees it get birds, so sometimes I have to close the blinds so he doesn't get freaked out. But it is the cutest thing. What is it? And you'll see kids walking down the street. What is it, Mimi? <laughs> he'll call me Mama or Mimi and he calls Pop Pop. Huh.
0: Sounds <laughs> like a smart parrot.
1: He is something. Have you ever, he's a conure, but he's a, uh, the little small conure. He is a mess, spoiled, rotten little evil thing. I call him evil, but we have spoiled him in the summer when his wings are clipped. Greg takes him out and sits him on the bird feeder Mm -hmm. and lets him eat seeds with the birds. Yeah. That is something to see. (laughs) I bet. We let him out there. He'll go and sit on the table and the hummingbirds will get all in his face and he'll say, what is it? (laughs) (laughs) He'll say, what's up? And he'll say, I want some when he wants food. And Mm -hmm. oh, he has an amazing vocabulary.
0: Really? I I didn't. Realize the parents had that big of a vocabulary or he could.
1: Oh, his is huge. I sometimes I can't even remember all this stuff he says. He is a uh parrots have the mind of a five year old when they're full grown. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's got a good vocabulary, but he loves this wildlife out here. I tell Greg all the time, if he don't watch it, I'm going to set him out there and let the hawk have him. We have to be careful and watch for the hawk when we're outside with him.
0: I would think so. I would, I would yeah, think we keep cool. our eye out. Who benefits from your garden the most, Gal? You or the hummingbirds?
1: Oh, it has to be me. Absolutely. It has to be me. I'm sure they benefit, but I'm so ready for them to go on to Central America by the end of October. The males leave first in the spring. Leave first in the fall. So the girls are here and I'll get down to four or five of them. And Oh, I'm so exhausted. You know, I look like a moonshiner when I go buy 25-pound sacks of sugar every week. People stare at me wondering what I'm doing. By then, I'm like, I'm so ready for you guys to go. But I am so happy when those boogers come back. Oh, I miss them so bad. So next month, I could be out in the middle of my yard with 50 birds around me. And when that first hummingbird, I mean, we can hear it way up in the sky. It takes my husband and, and my breath. We just stop Greg say, did you hear it? Did you hear it? It's just so worth it. Mm-hmm. It is just nature. Even the, the praying and the different Stages or the the one at the bottom of the food chain. I grieve over the caterpillar as much as I do over a dove when I see a hawk fly through. The hawk is majestic. I love them all. Uh, too many times, children are missing this.
0: Experience it rather than keyboard it, right?
1: That's the truth. Just need to spend some time outside. That's for sure. I think I have a T-shirt that says, uh, into the forest I go to lose my mind and save my soul." <laughs>
0: That's a great saying. That's great. Very applicable.
1: And if you don't think hummingbirds has memories, Craig, when two eggs hatch and they fledge, they come to your feeders, okay? They come and stay with their mother and they're bigger than her which is a misconception. A lot of people say, oh, I've got a little baby. Well, they got the mother because she almost starved to death raising those two babies. She has her babies here and she will move on. Those babies are going to stay here. They're not going to get in a hurry to go until it's migration time. They fledge two times. Each female has two nests of babies and they only have two per nest because that's all they can survive and raise. And that's just a fact babies that fledged here on my trees here or somewhere close to here in the woods next door, whatever, Mm -hmm. those babies come straight back here in the spring. Mm. And it's a proven fact. They come back here. I watched that phenomenon and you would be shocked because I only have the one feeder out in the spring because I don't want to put more than they're going to eat. And I have a lot of shepherd hooks right here close by. They will hover on a hook where they know there was a feeder last year. And they will just hover on a metal hook and I'll talk to them. And by the end of the summer, they definitely know my voice as well because I talk to them so much out there. But it is amazing to see them come back to the exact same place, looking for their feeder where they know you had feeders for them them sometimes that behavior will cause me to put out a couple of more feeders just because of that but they're really smart it's amazing right when when the hummers come and i'll have two or three out here you know by the end of march
0: yeah And
1: when I see them and they're hovering a lot, then I will go ahead and and make more food and and, uh, add two or three extra feeders for them. Just because they're looking and they're all fighting and fussing over one, I will build up. And then if I see... That they're slacking off, and maybe a couple have probably moved on further north. I'll bring a feeder right back in, dump the food. I do not leave yeah. four little feeders up yeah. for two or three birds. There's just no sense in it because they're going to be nectaring. They're going to be getting insects sure. and everything they need. The water's going to go bad, so I monitor my water carefully because you want to keep it fresh. Mm-hmm. And then when they build up here and they start draining the little tiny pint feeders, then I go to major big quart jars, I have quart feeders. And then every feeder I have turns into quart feeders. So that's how I monitor. The quart feeders make it easy for me to monitor. So obviously, if I only have four feeders out in the quart feeders, I've got a gallon out there. Hmm. And I can start really monitoring how much they're eating, whether or not I need to just put half of the quart I'm careful to keep the food very good and fresh, bring my feeders in, I look them over when I feel them, make sure they're clean and no mildew is growing my mold or anything like that. Make sure no insects in them because if a yellow jacket gets in it, they will keep eating. And I don't want that to happen and I'll keep those cleaned up. Mm -hmm. But if an ant gets into a feeder, the whole feeder jar, every bit of the food is ruined. They'll never touch that again. Ants put out a chemical and the hummingbird will never, never touch that feeder. So you might Mm -hmm. as well get that feeder down, dump it, clean it up and uh, do another one.
0: You can't clean it enough to get that ant?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can clean it. You just, they're never going to touch the food again. So you might as well pour the food out. Okay. An ant will ruin a jar of hummingbird food. Now they make really good hummingbird feeders that have the moat guard on top. And you just keep water in it. Nice ant guards you can also attach to the top of your feeder and keep water. An ant will not go past that. Having the trumpet vine, ants all over the trumpet vine in the summer, I have to be pretty careful because they can drop and occasionally catch onto the side of a uh, nectar place, you know, where they drink from. But I rarely have an ant problem. Also now, you know, they make the flower part of the feeders now. are pretty good about keeping out insects and uh, yellow jackets. So I don't have a really big problem with
0: insects on my feeders. How often do you routinely clean a feeder?
1: Well, I look them over. I I rinse them out really good and have a jar brush that I use. It's for hummingbird feeders, and you can get those. Have the little bitty brushes that you can clean out, little spots you see dirty and all. But if I see mold, I usually open it up, dump it, and start scrubbing it. It's not unusual for a feeder, me to do it every couple of fields. I'm going to usually clean that feeder up. The mildew mold, especially the black mold, I think is worse after rain. You know, you'll see it get a little dirtier. But just remember that these little boogers with their little beaks going in and out—they they dirty it up pretty good too, because they're dragging out the sugar water. It causes it to mold on the little flower portion of it. Can spray it with a little Purex, or just brush it in my sink. You gotta keep that mold out. You don't you don't want that. Every bit of the mold they'll move from feeder to feeder. So it's just worth it to clean it up because you're gonna end up having mold growing on every feeder if you don't keep an eye on it.
0: What have we not talked about?
1: Yeah, I think one thing that I would love for folks to know, where your butterflies are going to vanish when the rainstorm comes and they'll hide under the leaves until the wind and the rain's gone. There's nothing a hummingbird loves more than a good rainstorm. And it's just, it is so unbelievable. It is just beautiful to see them out there. And they'll just get wet. They'll hold their heads straight up with their beaks straight in the air. They'll hide under the uh, uh, pergola and they'll dart back and forth because they love getting a good bath with a water hose. You know, the mister and sprinklers. They love playing in that because they get so hot in the summer. They will also, once the storm passes and the rain ends, it will look like you've got Hundreds of new hummingbirds, they'll all come in at one time. So it's so much fun to watch them after a rainstorm. It is definitely a joy. It is just another beautiful aspect to uh, the beauty of having a backyard habitat. I'll tell you, I have a few folks, acquaintances that are terrified of them, which (laughs) blows my mind. They stay on the sun porch and won't even be out there around them. Early morning, I have people come when the sun comes up. They come off the roost. They're massive. You know, they're just solid when they first come off. And then late in the evening, sit still, it's almost dusk and it's almost nighttime. They come in and feed heavy, heavy, heavy. We've kind of hover over them, I think. We've become hovering people because if you come that late in the day, they're counting on that. It's the last meal before they hop on these trees here. Yeah, We always try to be still and let them. Be. I mean, you just can enjoy him so much more, if you will. Now you know a hummingbird's not going to come there when you're standing under that feeder,
0: <laughs> especially if they don't know you.
1: Right, if they don't know you and they're not used to you, Greg will go out and get a feeder and bring some in for me. When I'll have three or four at one time emptied
0: mm-hmm. and
1: they will follow him all the way to the door, on there drinking. <laughs> Is that unreal? They have become pretty big deal. They're a pretty big deal to us here. Yeah, they give me a lot of joy, Craig.
0: I can tell. I can tell by your enthusiasm and excitement.
1: So if we go on vacation, you have to have people come and fill feeders. I'll make several gallons of food if we're gone three or four days. You know, because it's just like the birds we feed. They start counting on you for it. They count on me in my backyard. It's kind of like the butterflies.
0: Gail Woody, I have enjoyed discussing hummingbirds with you today on the Garden Question Podcast, Episode 5. Thank you so much. The goal is that every episode is valuable and well worth your time. Please generously share the Garden Question Podcast with your friends, relatives, and neighbors. Check out our website, thegardenquestion.com, for links, resources, and where you can listen to every episode again and again. You will not want to miss a weekly episode, so please. Please subscribe to the garden question podcast with craig mcmanus on your favorite listening out keep on designing building and growing a smarter garden that works